Welcome to Next Step Student Success, a podcast on tips, tools, and takes for academics. Presented by Norfolk State University. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Felicia Mebben, one of the hosts of Next Up Student Success, along with Tristan White, our student leader and producer extraordinaire. Hi, Tristan. Hey, Dr. Mebben. So in this episode, we're talking with Dr. Thomas Lewis, and we're going to let him introduce himself, but we're really excited to have him as a guest. Hi, Dr. Lewis. Hello. How are you this morning? Good, thank you. So, Dr. Lewis, can we hear your name in your hometown where you're from? Uh, yes, you may. My name is Dr. Thomas Lewis, Jr., and I'm originally from Virginia Beach, Virginia. Oh, nice. And where did you get your education and training? I got my bachelor's degree from Norfolk State University. Then I completed my MBA in finance from the University of Chicago. And lastly, I got my PhD from VCU. That leads right into the next question, which is your connection to NSU. I know your faculty here. How long have you been working here? Do you have other family members that attended NSU? Actually, I do. So I have a pretty deep connection with NSU. Both of my parents are NSU alumni. Obviously, I graduated from NSU, but so did a number of my cousins and extended family members. And uh, your original question, I have been at Norfolk State now three years come August. Can we hear a fun fact about you? All right, fun fact. I lived and worked in South Africa for about three years, and that's where my daughter was actually born in Johannesburg. So she is a true African-American in every sense uh, with two passports and dual citizenship. Nice. Did you enjoy living in Africa more or the state? I've lived a couple of places abroad. And what I think it really does is it gives me a greater perspective, uh, not only globally, but it gives me a a greater perspective about just the United States. I mean, we're so large, 50 states. uh, We have a couple of states that are larger than many countries. And uh, I think that, again, it just gives me, it broadens my perspective, it broadens my appreciation of not only the United States, but also the other countries in which I've lived. That's great. So similar to fun fact, what would you say was your favorite job, most unusual job in your whole life? It doesn't necessarily have to be as a professional. Okay. I think my most, I'll, I'll use this because it's hard when you, when we talk about favorites, you have different aspects of favorite, but what I would necessarily say my most interesting job was the job that I had when I was in South Africa. I was the CFO of a mining company that actually had operations throughout Sub-Sahara Africa. I spent a great amount of time in South Africa, but I also traveled to Namibia and other countries. Now, what I found very interesting about that job, however, was it really brought together three aspects that I find really interesting. One, this idea of continuous learning. Prior to getting into academia, I had 17 years of private industry work experience. And anyone in private industry, and and what I try to tell my students as well, is that learning doesn't stop with a class 
or learning doesn't stop with one experience. It's continuous learning. And having to operate in a different country in a different environment, I was continuously learning. So that's one aspect that I really like. I also like the teaching and coaching aspect because when you work in different countries and in different environments, Sometimes they have different expectations there. However, when the finances and reporting still have to be done in the United States, you know, we have different expectations over here. So it was kind of trying to coordinate that and teaching and getting uh, the people in South Africa kind of up to speed. And last but not least, one thing that I really like as well is problem solving. Many of my minds were in remote areas. And not only that, we had a number of different type of geographical and environmental issues, especially in Namibia. They have a rainy season where certain roads you weren't able to use for a portion of the year when it rains. That was something I was not used to. And having to plan for that. And really, when we're talking about just getting food and supplies out to workers at that point in time, the logistics of that were quite challenging. So again, the continuous learning, the teaching, and the problem solving, I found that to be a very interesting job. First of all, what's a CFO? Because I'm not sure everybody knows what that means. It's a chief financial officer. I started my career with a public accounting firm in Chicago, Ernst & Young, and then I subsequently moved to Wall Street to work for an investment bank after I got my MBA in finance at the University of Chicago. And when I left Wall Street is when I took the position of chief financial officer for a, it was a portfolio company of a private equity firm. I had uh, friends who were working there at the time. So that's what took me to South Africa to become the chief financial officer. I know I have some business training and background as well. And then when I came into academia, that was one of the things that students appreciated most. So how does your private sector experience connect with your role as a faculty member right now, including your research, what you teach, that type of thing? I think it, it, it dovetails nicely. I think that it gives greater credibility. And that's one thing that I'll get into when I talk about my tips. You know, students these days, sometimes they don't necessarily understand why professors ask of them what we necessarily ask. And then even if they do understand the why, they don't necessarily see the necessity of it or for it. When I can sit back and say, look, you know, I worked in the private sector for 17 years. I hired people. I fired people. These are the skill sets that I was specifically looking for. I think, again, it lends greater credibility. So what does it mean to be a professor? What do you do? Specifically at Norfolk State, Norfolk State is a teaching school. I guess my parents always say, and even when I was here, there was a mantra, easy to get into, hard to get out of. But at the same point in time, we are accredited the School of Business by the AACSB. So there's a certain level of research that we are also responsible for. So I teach a minimum of four courses over a semester, and I also am responsible for producing uh, high-quality research as well. Dr. Lutz, you never told us your position at Norfolk State. Assistant Professor of Accounting. So you're the perfect person for us to ask for tips and tools on how students can study smarter and not necessarily harder, especially during the summer. So what are your tips on on that topic? All right, tips and tools for successful studying. Number one, read the syllabus. 
You have to read the syllabus because that's going to give you all of the pertinent information of the course. What time assignments are due? You know, what happens if you miss an assignment? How is your grade going to be calculated? That's number one. Number two, you're going to have to use all of your available resources. Google is fantastic. If you do not understand the meaning of a word, Google it. You're going to have to Google. You're going to have to actually read the text. There's a reason why you pay for the text. Use it. Use it, please. You know, I mean, it's, it's powerful. The third, office hours are for a reason. Now, office hours are not a tutoring session. What office hours are, are after you have read, after you have actually gone to class, after you have attempted your homework, there are time where it's specifically dedicated for you to get greater clarity from your professor. Let's say what not to say in office hours. Come in. I don't know anything. I don't know what's going on. Ban it, ban it. That's a negative. The positive thing to say in office hours, Dr. Lewis, in chapter three's homework, problem number 10, I was going through these steps as you outlined in class and per the examples that were in the book, I got to this part in the problem and I got lost. Can you please help clarify that for me? Ding, 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 ding. That is a positive response. Now, if you do those things that I just said, your target audience being who? Your professor is going to greatly appreciate that. And you know what? Come the end of semester, when you're sitting on a 69.2 that technically doesn't round up, they're going to remember that. And guess what? You're magically beep, 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 most likely going to get that C that you need. One of the, the tips that I'm hearing, especially though, is your professor is the person, right? That's the person who's establishing all the expectations for the class, who creates the syllabus, who has the office hours. So it seems like one of your overarching tips is you need to pay attention to what the professor is telling you you need to study, right? Yeah, well, yeah, because it's funny, whatever the student's goal is, whether they want to get A, B, C, whether they just want to pass the course or whatever, what I was trying to say with the attitude is, okay, you set your own personal goal, but to do that, you have to make it through this course, right? The syllabus is the professor is telling you what you're going to have to do to make it through that course. That's it. Whether you like it or not, that's what you're going to have to do if you want to reach what your goal is at the end. So it's laid out before you. A lot of students go back and forth and they talk about, well, I don't like this or I don't think this is fair. And sometimes I wonder, is that via your academic attainment or your professional experience? Because, you know, you're in this course because you're trying to learn. So, you know, I don't know how you can make a determination about what is fair or what isn't, especially about very objective course material. So what I would suggest is first become familiar with what the expectations are in the course and then do your very best, not at midterms, not at final exams, but all throughout the course to meet those parameters or those hurdles. 
And I will almost guarantee you, if you are doing that on a weekly basis, you put a good week together, string it into a good month, then string it into a good two months, at the end of that course, most likely you will meet your objective or you'll possibly exceed it. So when it comes to studying, I think you've mentioned that there could be a presentation in class, you have a book, there might be some other materials. How should students know where to focus, you know, in terms of which materials? Um, well, here's what, here's what I will tell students, one, don't rely on a presentation in class. Let's think about it. We, if it's a three-hour course, maybe each class session is 40, 45 minutes, right? There's no way that an, an instructor is going to be able to cover, if it's a book and the chapter is 30 pages, PowerPoint presentations weren't meant to be a book. They were meant to highlight certain information. On test, the devil is always in the detail. So what students need to understand is that the in-class presentation itself is supplementary. You know, certain information, and I, I can speak, I'm, I'm speaking for the School of Business now, accounting. Accounting is a language, just like English or Spanish. Think about when you were first learning to read. You had to memorize your ABCs in order to read. After you memorized the actual letters, you had to memorize the phonics behind them to be able to string together words. So a teacher can show you all day. I could show you the alphabet all day, but unless you are going to do however you do it, different people have different learning styles, but however you commit that alphabet to memory, that's going to have to be your process, but I can show you this is what you're going to have to do. That's what a class presentation is. And the class presentation can become much more useful if you have already done the work of, you know, not even a cursory glance through the chapter. The chapter at the beginning tells you what the learning objectives are. It gives you the definitions of words that you probably haven't seen before. So you can kind of get up to speed. So by the time you get into the class presentation, that's not the first time that you have ever heard that concept. It's not just students, it's anybody. If I sit down and I'm listening to someone speak on you know, detailed information and I have, not, I, I have no clue on which they're speaking, how much of that information am I really going to retain in that 40 minutes? Yeah, so students can really help themselves, one, in the presentation in class, if they have done some type of prep work, whether, you know, before they come to class, do a cursory glance either over the PowerPoint or over the chapter so that it's not the first time that they've heard this information. And then maybe even in class, they can raise their hand and say, oh, okay, so professor, what you're saying, or yeah, when I was looking at this, I didn't really understand it. Because after, typically after the class presentation, there's already gonna be homework that's gonna be assigned that's probably gonna be due in three to four days. So when you're talking about tools or resources for students, you've mentioned um, your textbook for the course. You've mentioned Google. Do you have any other recommendations for resources for students? I do. One thing that I am, I've been uh, online certified since I got to NSU. So this is my third summertime teaching over the summer, but I also teach online courses during the semester. I utilize Pearson is my publisher. 
And in Pearson, whether the course is online or it's brick and mortar, there are great supplements uh, for the text. And there it actually has its own link called the Multimedia Library. So what do I mean by supplements? They actually have additional YouTube videos that are specific to the learning objectives in each chapter. So therefore, if you have missed a brick and mortar class, and during that class, I've taught learning objectives 3.1, 3.2, you're able to go to a link and hit a YouTube video where they're going to basically teach that session again, give you information on that learning objective. They have flashcards, they have different supplementary information, and I also coordinate that with the homework. I have students do their homework in the online environment. The reason why I have this is because I can see how long it's taking them to do their homework. I can see specifically what questions they're having issues with. And some certain times I can have that hard conversation that you know, you're saying that you're having a hard time and I can see why, because you're not doing your homework or you spent a minute on the homework on that chapter. So I also believe in being data-driven and I believe in being as objective as possible. I take the subjectivity out of my course. I'm, I'm fortunate because I teach accounting, but it's not what I give you. It's what you've earned, right? So it, it, it's that easy to see. This has been really great. And so, I <laughs> yeah, I didn't know, you know, it's with these type of things. I didn't know how you wanted. Yeah, like there's certain, you know, how when there's certain things when you talk, you know, you're talking at the high level and it's positive and you're trying to hit that. But you're right. You're wordsmithing it that students are going to have to read in between the lines. But I can, you know, it depends upon, you know, you tell me what you want and you can get all the material. You can edit it as needed and uh, we can kind of go from there. That's so much more receptive to students. And most of the time, teachers will come in still this week and do what you did the first time. And you're like, oh, this or that. Oh, like, we're not really listening to what they're saying. And then we get the, the results back for the first test. We're like, where did this grade come from? <laughs> and then we're like all shocked. In my course, Tristan, just to, Tristan, just to kind of dovetail on what you're talking about, everything I try to do is more interactive. And I get pushback from students, just like the syllabus. What students will get, I have three degrees. So therefore, I have been a student. I understand how it works. I don't waste my time, because to me, it's a waste of time. You're a college student, you can read. So I tell students, my course is open before day one. And I tell students, if it's a brick and mortar class, review and download your syllabus, whether you do it on your phone, I don't care, have it, bring it to class the first day. And I don't stand up there and speak. I tell students, I kind of like, we do our little, you know, if you want to do, do your intro, but I don't even waste my time doing that. I tell them who I am. I said, the first thing I asked you was to download or bring a syllabus, however, whatever form you want to. I said, look to the right, look to the left, get in groups of threes get people's name, telephone numbers, and contact because you're going to have to leverage them throughout the course. If you miss the course, it's something like that. But I want you to get in groups right now, and I want each group to come up with three questions that they have in regards to the syllabus, what they don't understand, what they don't know, what they want me to go into detail about, because you were supposed to have read it, you're supposed to synthesize it. So now get together with three other people. And if there's something that isn't clear, you as a group come together and you ask me in front of everyone else. And I'm sure they may have had that question as well, right? 
Well, that's actually perfect because one thing I'm not a fan of is going to a class and it takes you three class periods for the teacher to sit there and read you the syllabus like we can't read and they're reading each part. The attendance policy is blah, blah, blah. It's the same for every class. Right. At NSU, why are you reading that for us? Exactly. I don't. I only spend the the very first class period doing it, and you tell me what you don't understand. And so after we do that, what I also have is called a syllabus checklist. So it says attendance, grading, all the stuff. So you put a check next to it, and then you have to sign and date it and send it back to me, upload it in Blackboard. So you better, the students, I don't know how to scan and do a PDF. Well, guess what? You're going to learn. <laughs> and, and you're going to upload it into Blackboard. It's time and date stamp. So at the end, I didn't know when this was due. I didn't know what this, it's a syllabus checklist that you signed off that, yes, you read, you reviewed, you understood not only the course policies, you understood the date, you understood the grading. That's your signature. Yeah. You, you attest to that. And you mentioned being a student. What has been your personal take or experience with studying smarter, not harder? Uh, I think one of the, the craziest takes, well, I'll sit put this. If you want to be treated like an adult, then you need to act like an adult. And I came in because, again, like I said, I was a student and I knew not only how I wanted to be treated, but I know as I progressed how my teachers treated me. And that's one thing that I really wanted to bring and communicate that at my HBCU, because this is where you're getting love. And the, the love that I'm giving you is if you're going to fail, I want you to fail here and not out there, because out there, you're not given second chances. And I can tell you at the University of Chicago, and I can tell you at VCU, there was no double checking. If you didn't turn something in, you didn't turn it in and you failed. That's it. There was no whining and moaning and complaining. And unfortunately, you know, when you are people who kind of like look like us or under underrepresented populations, that's the expectation level that you won't get your stuff in on time. So there is no sympathy. You are just sinking to the low expectations that they had for you. And I want you to know that, no, that is not acceptable. It's not acceptable, right? And I don't understand the thinking of that people will just get it magically. I never have gone into a gym's weight room and just said, one day I'm magically going to be able to lift 315 pounds. That's not how it works. You start at a lower weight and you build up, right? So what I am trying to teach is not just debits and credits. Like I said, I'm a business professional. And what I'm trying to get our students who come out of the school of business, I want them to be ready day one. When they leave Norfolk State's campus, I want them to be prepared, not only from an accounting perspective, but pre be prepared for a professional business environment. One of the reasons that there are rules, there are rules in place. And, um, you know, and I, I used to not even grade homework because to me, Homework is like on golf. No one grades me when I go out to the driving range. You take score when you play the game, right? But what I found out was me not attaching any grade to homework, people didn't do it. And therefore, if you're not doing your homework, how can you be successful on a test? And, you know, and, and that's me treating you like an adult. Here are the homework problems, guys. And I'm assuming if you want to do well on the test, you understand that you're going to have to do the homework. I, there's no grade that's associated with the homework. They didn't do it. And the test grades were abysmal. And then what I did was 
I said, okay, a homework is due at this point in time. You can do it as many times as you need to to get it right. The pro homework problem is right. You just, they just need to be done. So I'm thinking I'm helping that I'm forcing you to practice and you can get 100% on your homework grade. Guess what? How many students still don't do their homework? So that's what I don't understand when students are like, oh, we're adults, which legally they are adults. But I just want them to understand that, yes, you have the right to do X, Y, and Z. You also have the right to feel the consequences of those actions that you have chosen. And again, real talk, and we really appreciate that because, again, this is not in the context of anybody's class, mm -hmm. so hopefully students can have an open mind. But you were, as sort of a wrap-up, what I hear you saying in some respects as someone who has worked with freshmen and sophomores specifically is that you have to come into a college environment with a certain mindset. So what are some aspects of that mindset that will help students to lock into the tips and tools that you're talking about? Uh, one, one thing that I think is that, I don't know who said it, but those who seek knowledge need to begin with humbleness, right? You need to be humble and understanding that we as professors are here to help you. It's not an adversarial relationship. So when we are asking you to do certain things, it has nothing to do with a power trip. When we're asking you to come to class on time and not walk in 20 minutes late and walk past us while your other cohort members are trying to learn, there's a reason and rationale for that. So that's why I want to sit back and say, if you are really here to learn, then you just have to kind of have that mindset that the professor is here to help me. Even if I don't always understand the why, I have to trust that. And that's one reason why you're here at HBCU. You also have to come in with an attitude uh, that you are here to work for whether it be six weeks in the summer, 16 weeks in a regular fall or spring semester. Dedicate yourself for that limited period in time. As far as your life goes, that's a very small period in time to daily, to weekly, doing what you need to do to get the best grade that you can out of that course. Professors have a lot of things going on. It is not a witch hunt against you. There are policies and procedures in a course that have to be uniformly applied. They have to be. Students don't like subjectivity. Professors don't like subjectivity either. We want to be able to objectively evaluate every student. And for that to actually happen, every student needs to follow the rules, all right? Another thing is I really think that you just need to get comfortable being uncomfortable because that is the only way that you're gonna grow. It, you're only gonna be comfortable doing the things that you already know how to do. You are here to expand your knowledge base. You are here to expand expand your connections. You are here to expand your resources. And in expanding, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be painful at certain points in time. So just be in the mindset that you know that going in, and this too shall pass. Thank you so much. That was amazing. I think it was both specific as well as stepping back. I think it's called maybe a growth mindset. If you can, people can Google it, see what that means. <laughs> but that was a really great combination, really great perspective from a professor in the classroom. So thank you so much for being with us today. All right. Thank you for having me.
Next Up Student Success was created by Dr. Felicia Mebin with theme music by Dr. Cheryl Mebin and is presented by the Office of Academic Engagement at Norfolk State University. For more information about our production team, hosts, and past episodes, go to nextup-studentsuccess.org. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube.